What is up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Sean Jones NBA Show. Um, apologies, I know it has been a little bit since I've recorded, but um, I've been a little busy on my end, and then at the same time, we have kind of reached that lull in the offseason where um, most of the rosters are pretty much set. Um, really only minor free agents are still available and we haven't quite gotten to training camp or the preseason but today I did just want to talk about the big news that happened about 10 days ago when Donovan Mitchell was traded to Cleveland I'm going to focus on how this affects the Cavaliers moving forward what it means for the Jazz and then I'll also touch on the Knicks as they were heavily involved with uh, trade talks with Utah as well so just to recap what the trade looked like Um, As most of you know, Donovan Mitchell was acquired by the Cavs, um, and in return, the Jazz received Laurie Markkanen, uh, the Cavs' first-round pick from this past year, uh, Agbaji, the uh, forward or wing player out of uh, Kansas. And then they actually did a sign-and-trade for Colin Sexton, which was a four-year, $72 million deal. Um, And that's it for the players. Um, And then additionally... They were able to get three unprotected first-round picks, those being in 2025, 2027, and 2029 from the Cavs, and then two additional pick swaps in 2026 and 2028. As we know, you can't trade consecutive years um, or draft picks in consecutive years, so that's why they've got the alternating of um, where they send the pick, swap the pick, send the pick, swap the pick, and then send the pick again. So I want to start off on what this means for the Cavs. I love this trade for Cleveland. Um, They now have a top four players of Donovan Mitchell, Darius Garland, Evan Mobley, and Jared Allen, along with a a very nice supporting cast of Karis LeVert, Kevin Love, Ricky Rubio, Isaac Okoro, and and Chetty Osman. They do have obviously other players on the roster, but that's probably going to be their main, their top nine guys going into this year. Um, And yeah, I mean, the Cavs were a really fun team last year. They played really well to start the season. Um, I believe they started off 35-21 and 21, um, before really struggling down the stretch. Um, one, they had a lot of in- injuries, so Jared Allen got hurt. Um, I believe uh, Garland missed some time as well. Um, I think Mobley, Mobley missed a little bit too. Rubio obviously was out for the year um, after having a really nice um, start to the season contributing to off the bench for this team. Um, and then Colin Saxon obviously got hurt and missed almost the entire season. I think he played less than 10 games last year and wasn't having a particularly great year by his standards anyway. Um, but if not for those injuries, the Cavs probably would have made the playoffs. I mean, they were in that 5-6 seed range for most of the year. Um, they ended up finishing 8th, I believe, but um, did lose in the play-in first to the Nets and then to the Hawks. Um, I think the Hawks might even have been favored in that game, though. Obviously, they were um, at full strength, and Trey Young was probably the best player on the court between either team. But, yeah, the Cavs didn't really have many expectations going into last year, so um, they were definitely one of the surprise teams. They were a really fun team to watch, though. Um, If you have NBA League Pass and were able to catch some of their games, um, they just were really exciting. A lot of young players. Um, and they had the ability to go on some insane runs. Um, I, I feel like I remember one run from last year where it was like a 22 to nothing run against like the Pacers or something like that at one point. But um, yeah, they're a really fun team to watch, and now they're going to be even more fun. Um, 
not only is their roster looking very impressive this year and much better on paper, but they really do have some flexibility, although they don't have their picks to be able to trade. Uh, they do have Karis LeVert and Kevin Love, who both have expiring contracts, which could be appealing to a team potentially um, if they were looking to um, shed some salary cap or open up some space to sign some player next year. Um, but I do think this, uh, in the short term, I think this puts the Cavs right there in the mix for a top four seed for this coming season. I really think they could make a, a Memphis-type leap like the Grizzlies had last year, ascending all the way up to the two seed. Um, and I actually think on paper that this team's probably better than Memphis was last year or even Memphis going into the next year. Um, I mean, John Morant is probably better than anybody on the Cavs right now, but um, I would, if you're drafting between the teams, I think I would take Mitchell Garland, Mobley <laughs> as the next three players. And then um, Allen is a really nice piece, obviously, also, um, especially on the defensive end. But um, I do think they might be uh, a year away from legit contention in the East. Um, I do think I could see them making a, a conference finals run, potentially. I think it's really going to come down to matchup. Um, I mean, if we're looking at the top teams in the East, I think there's probably a clear top six, um, and not in any order, but the Bucks, Sixers, Celtics, Cavs, Nets, and Heat. I could see any of those teams making the conference finals. Um, I think the Cavs probably would be at a disadvantage as far as going to the finals just because lack of experience but obviously the nets have had a pretty hectic offseason so who knows what's going to happen with them the heat really have not had a very good offseason either they've lost some players and really haven't added anybody to replace them i don't even know who their starting power forward is going to be they lost pj tucker markeith morris is not on the team anymore either so um yeah unless they get some internal improvement from tyler harrow or some other um, younger players on the team um kyle lowry's only getting older Butler hasn't been very durable over the last two seasons, so we'll see. I, w I definitely wouldn't pick the Heat to make it there, but um, we'll see. The Celtics, um, they had a really good year last year, obviously making the finals, but um, they did just lose uh, Danilo Gallinari, who was one of their top offseason additions to a torn ACL, so he's going to be out for the year, which is definitely a big blow. Um, they're going to be more reliant on Al Horford now, which I think they were hoping not to have to be as uh, reliant on him. And then we know Robert Williams has injury issues um, over his short career. So we'll see. I could see a little bit of regression from them, um, but who knows? I do like the Sixers this year and the Bucks as well. Um, I could see either of those teams making it far. But the point is the Cavs are pretty much right in the mix there. Um, again, I, I wouldn't pick them to make the finals, but I think as far as um, – especially seeding wise um, i could see them taking the regular season a little bit more seriously than some of these more veteran teams plus they've got young legs so um, probably not as injury prone as a lot of the other older teams as well would it totally shock me if the Cavs had the number one and number two seed i don't think it would i'm not going to pick that probably um, but I, yeah i think they'll be right up there and um, they're going to be really fun to watch as far as what this means uh, for more in the long term, I mean, they are set up really well uh, to be really good for a long time. So Mitchell, obviously they just traded for, is under contract for four more years. I believe it's three and the fourth is a player option, so could only be three. But regardless, that's still a pretty big window there. Jared Allen is also under for four more years, um, all of those being guaranteed, so he's locked up for that. Um, Darius Garland, who signed a... 
uh, rookie extension, um, is under contract for six more years. Um, and then Mobley, obviously just coming off his rookie season, um, has three more years on his rookie deal, but uh, I would be shocked if they did not sign him to uh, a rookie extension, which can get up to five years. So assuming he does sign that, they would have him for eight more years. So that's pretty crazy. You've got Garland and Mobley for at least six more, um, and then Mitchell and Allen for four. I think with Mitchell, um, if things go well, I could. I don't see why he wouldn't re-sign unless maybe he does want to um, go to New York. Obviously, there was rumors that that was his preferred destination. He is from that area, so it, it could make some sense. But um, operating under the assumption that things go well and he would definitely be at least open to the idea of staying in Cleveland beyond that contract extension. But even if he doesn't, a four-year window with that, that foursome is going to be really um, – they're going to be really good um, over the next few years. Um, and that's not even to mention that obviously the, the salary cap is going to take a, uh, a bump up in the next few years. And Mobley's still on his rookie deal. And Allen's contract is pretty reasonable too, only about $20 million a year. And that's not even to mention that they have $46 million in salary rolling off the books next year between Kevin Love and Karis LeVert. I, LeVert makes about $18 million, close to 19 and then Love is making up to 29, so it's actually closer to um, 48 million that'll be coming off the books. So um, they're going to have cap space <laughs> to sign guys. And whether that be uh, signing a few guys to mid level deals um, that can kind of um, fill in the edges of the roster, or maybe they do have enough space to um, make a splash for someone even bigger. Um, I mean, if you look at just 2025. Um, the only players that they have left on their roster are Mitchell, Allen, Garland, Mobley, and Ricky Rubio. <laughs> so um, they're set up really well. And Rubio is only at $6 million. So basically t- two years from now, they've got their core four and then one other very uh, marginal contract. So they're going to have space to sign guys. Um, I know Cleveland hasn't historically been a hot destination for free agents, but... Um, with this young core, I could definitely see some veteran guys um, similar to like how Jay Crowder did with the Suns um, a few years ago. They were up and coming team and he helped push them over the top. Uh, I could see guys doing that. I also could see um, if there's a, a player who maybe is a little higher level. Um, maybe I don't know if it would be an all-star level, but um, someone in the maybe fringe all-star who's not going to quite command a a max slot but close to it but honestly they might even have enough room for max slot with um love and lavert rolling off i mean i don't think they're they're not majorly over the cap they don't have a ton of huge contracts so but with that being said um i think that their long-term contention is really gonna come down to evan mobley if he can really turn into a true star, um, and then you've got him, Garland and Mitchell as your top three, and then Allen as a very nice complimentary four, then they're going to be really good, uh, especially if Mobley can ascend to being the number one or number two on the team. And then if you've got Garland or Mitchell as your third option, that's really as much star power as anyone in the league has right now. There aren't really a ton of like big threes uh, like we've had in years past. But... Um, yeah, I also think the three of them complement their games really well. I mean, the four, if you include Allen, too. Um, Allen is not going to 
demand really any shots. Um, he's just going to defend in the paint, block shots, um, do some rim running, um, be there for lobs, and that's really all they need him to do. Garland is one of the few more traditional point guards we do have in the league these days. Um, I know it's kind of a dying breed, but um, he did average almost nine assists last year, um, which was, I think, in the top five in the league. So, um, And that was with not a lot of the guys to pass to, um, obviously with some injured players, and they didn't really have any other reliable scoring wing players. Um but I think he he obviously is going to get his shots, but he doesn't need to command like a number one option type level of shots just because he is a very good distributor. And then Mitchell is the perfect fit just in terms of he's going to go get you a bucket. Um, but then he doesn't have to have all the pressure of uh, being the main ball handler like he had in Utah. I know they had guys like Mike Conley, Ricky Rubio in years past, but um, those guys weren't really reliable scorers. Um, Mitchell had to do and well and to be honest like Conley's not really a traditional um, distributor he's um, not really ever getting in that nine ten assists per game range that Garland's already in so I think Mitchell's going to get easier looks Garland's probably the best offensive player he's ever played with and Mobley's got a chance to be <laughs> the first or second best offensive player he's ever played with too. It's pretty crazy to think that in uh, Mitchell's time in Utah, I mean, Gobert was obviously the um, other main guy on the team, but who was the next best offensive guy he had? Was it Conley? I mean, I, mean, I know he made one all-star team, but the, it was not even one of his better seasons, to be honest. Um, Bojan Bogdanovic, is, he's a good player, but I mean, if... <laughs> If he's your second score, your team's probably not too good. Um, and yeah, they just they have they've had a lot of complimentary offensive guys, but not really a guy you can hand the ball to and ISO and go get you bucket to really take pressure off from off of Mitchell. And that's really why Utah has had such a ceiling over the past few years. But but if Mobley can even he does even if he doesn't turn into a superstar, which a lot of people think he will, um, I've heard comps to like Kevin Garnett. Um, I, I won't go that far quite yet, but he definitely did show those flashes in his rookie year. But if he can even turn into a slightly better version of uh, peak Al Horford, for exa- example, um, which feels like that could be his, his worst case. Um, they got pretty su- similar playing styles, good defensive players, very versatile, um, good passers for their size, have a little bit of a shot. Um, Horford can definitely um, shoot it from three these days, but back when he was Mobley's age, he wasn't much of a three-point shooter. And Mobley's not much of a three-point shooter now, but um, he can make a little mid-range, and I wouldn't be surprised if he was able to expand that range throughout his career. Um, But if he is is able to ascend to even that level, I do think that um, this team would have legit championship aspirations um, during this four-year, if not more, run that they'll have. Um, and I'm not sure that there's a team in the East that I would pick to uh, or just bet on in the next five years other than maybe the Bucks. Um, just And that's really just because Giannis. I mean, he's at the peak of his powers, best player in the world. Um, he's been very durable in his career, and they've got a nice supporting cast for him. So I think the Bucks are set up to be pretty much the favorite in the East every year over the next few years unless there's a major shakeup. And then maybe the Celtics, um, but I still think I might prefer the Cavs in terms of like a five-year window just because they've got their guys locked up. 
Um, Jalen Brown's only got two years left on his deal, and obviously there were, were reports that he was not super happy about being included in some of the Kevin Durant trade rumors. So would it totally shock me if he left and wanted to be the main guy in his own team? Definitely not. And if that did happen, it definitely would set the Celtics back a little bit. I mean, Tatum is their best player and probably a top 10 player in the league at this point. So they're going to be okay. They're going to be good. But they definitely would need to find um, someone to replace Brown's production, whether that be another star next to Tatum or um, some combination of other players that step up. But regardless, I really like the Cavs top four. Um, Like I said, I think other than the Bucs, I'd probably take their five-year window in the East. Um, especially with the um, injury issues that Embiid has had and then Harden getting a little older. Um, The Nets obviously are a very old team. Durant has not been durable. Kyrie's been a flake. And who knows if either of those guys are going to be on the team long term But after this offseason. I know I mentioned the Heat earlier, but they um, are getting a little older as well. Kyle Lowry is definitely getting up there in age and did not look good in, in the playoffs last year. And then Butler and even Bam has had durability issues over the years. So um, they definitely have some question marks. And then there's the contract uh, issues with Harrow. I don't know if they really want to pay him. He's been (laughs) putting out a lot of angry uh, (laughs) tweets and Instagram stories. So we'll see. I don't know. Um, But it is crazy to think in the East. I know I named that top six. But then I didn't even get to the Hawks, the Bulls, the Raptors. So I think this trade really helps um, bolster the East overall. I mean, they've got nine, those nine teams. One of them's going to miss the playoffs. Um, So the East is definitely catching up to the West. I know for a long time, the West has been easily the superior conference, but um, between Bucks, Sixers, Celtics, Nets, Cavs, Heat, Hawks, Bulls, Raptors, that's a really strong top nine. And to be honest, I'm not even sure who I'm going to pick to miss the playoffs. I think probably what's going to happen is one of the nine will have a ton of injuries and that will be the one that misses. But um, I think any healthy team will probably be able to get in because, um, I mean, they all got better uh, except for maybe the Bulls um, and the Raptors, but they were comfortably in the playoffs last year, six seed and seven seed. Um, and then the Hawks added Murray. Um, the Heat were in the Commerce Finals. The Nets should have everyone back healthy, including Simmons, and they improved their roster overall. Celtics just made the finals. Sixers and Bucks have been at the top of the conference for a few years now. So it's going to be fun to watch the East this year. Um, really, any order between most of those teams wouldn't shock me too much, um, except for maybe the Bucks. I think they've got the the highest floor among any team. But, um, yeah, I'm really excited to watch the Cavs this year, and um, I think they're going to be really good for years to come. And I, I really love this trade for Cleveland. Those picks they gave up, I know they're unprotected, but – with the, with the amount of talent they have, I, I really don't see them being anything more than uh, picks that are in the 20s, really up until when... <laughs> that's the crazy thing. I mean, they gave up a pick. The latest one is 2029. 20, that's seven years from now. But they still have Mobley under con- that contract that entire time. They have uh, Garland under contract that entire time, except for the 2029. 20, but, I mean, again, we, as we said, if if things go well, I can't see him wanting to leave um, so I don't know. I don't think any of those picks are going to be overly consequential for the, for Cleveland to lose. I doubt the swaps will even convey. I'm sure Utah will probably be worse, um, at, at least in 2026, 2028. We'll see. Obviously, it's a long way from now. But, um, yeah, love this trade for Cleveland overall.
So next I want to talk about the Jazz perspective on this. Um, obviously we went over who they were able to get in this trade. I do want to just recap the Rudy Gobert trade as well. Um, they obviously traded Gobert to the Timberwolves back in June for Malik Beasley, Patrick Beverly, who actually has since been traded for Taylor Horton Tucker from the Lakers, Leandro Balmaro, Walker Kessler, who was there, uh, the Wolves' uh, first-round pick this in this last year's draft, and Jared Vanderbilt. Um, and those are all the players they got. And in terms of picks, they got a 2023, 2025, 2027, and 2029 first-round pick. Um, I believe three of those four are unprotected. And then the 2026 pick swap. So just to recap what they have in total from this offseason, just from trading Mitchell and Gobert, they have one pick in 2023 from the Wolves, two 2025 picks, each from one from the Cavs, one from the Wolves, two 2027 picks, one from Cavs, one from Wolves, and two 2029 picks, one from Cavs, one from Bulls. So that's seven first-round picks. I believe six of them are unprotected. Um, and then they also did get three total pick swaps, uh, one from the Wolves in 26, and then two from the Cavs, um, that being in 26 and 28. Um, so that's a lot of picks. Um, and then they've got a lot of guys on their roster that I would honestly be pretty shocked uh, if any of these people are still on their roster by the tar- start of the season. Um, I was I would have thrown Patrick Beverly in there, but he already got traded, obviously. Um, but then on, on top of him, Mike Conley, Bojan Bogdanovich, Jordan Clarkson, and even probably Malik Beasley. I know he's the youngest of the group, so they might hold on to him, but um, a lot of people think that they won't. He's he's probably best suited as a sixth man um, on a on a good team, but he, I'm sure he could score close to 20 on this team. But I'm <laughs> not sure how good defensively a Sexton and Beasley backcourt's going to be. But with that being said, um, I think between Conley, Bogdanovich, and Clarkson, they have a pretty good chance of being able to get a first-round pick for each of them. Maybe Beasley as well if they do decide to move him, um, which is pretty crazy if they were able to get even just one first-round pick for each of them. That would be four more first-round picks. Um, I definitely don't think Utah's done dealing. So if they were able to do that, I mean, adding <laughs> 11 picks and three swaps in one offseason is just absurd. Um, they're certainly doing the teardown correctly. Um, a, a lot of teams are bad and they don't do it well <laughs> they i think the difference here is that a lot of teams wait too long to tear things down until they really don't have much of a choice and i think utah they could have run it back with mitchell and gobert for at least a, f- a few more years um, but i think this is obviously the correct choice they have been just stuck in mediocrity i mean not even mediocrity they're a little better than mediocre obviously um they were the one seed a few years ago um and they've been a top four seed. They've won some playoff series, but they were just stuck in that middle for way too long. They had such a clear ceiling in the playoffs. Gobert would consistently get exposed. Mitchell would play a little bit too much hero ball sometimes. And then they didn't really have any second overly reliable scorer. Um, and then defensively, um, they were just a mess, especially last year. Other than Gobert, they're just a bunch of wings that can't guard anybody so then gobert's got to compensate and then mitchell's just not giving effort on that end and i don't know it was time to move on i think most people agree with this um i've felt this way definitely even last year when they lost i thought they could have and or should have blown it up a little bit um whether that be trading mitchell and gobert or just switching the 
uh, role players around them a little bit. But regardless, um, I think that they're getting, I think, I mean, obviously given what they got for Gobert, they got a, a milked as much value out of him as they could have. And as far as the Mitchell trade goes, we'll talk a little bit more about like the offer and if they, uh, they could have got more, but they still got a good amount for him. I mean, three first round picks and then Sexton and Markkanen are at least interesting pieces. They're both younger. They're neither, neither of them are going to be all stars, but, um, they're good, competent, young NBA players. So, um, yeah, <laughs> they got a lot for the two guys. Um, and it's just funny because you they're kind of reaching OKC territory, especially if they trade the, the, the latter four guys I mentioned. But the thing is, OKC has been – it's taken them years to do this, and it kind of feels like the Jazz did. Everything the uh, Thunder have been doing <laughs> in, in the last, like, what – three years now um and they did it in one off season so obviously okc's had had the big paul george trade um then they flipped uh, westbrook for uh chris paul then they flipped chris paul for picks then they've taken on um veteran guys like al horford um where they got a pick just to get him and then we're still able to get another pick when they traded him so they've done a good job with asset management but they're still nowhere near winning um Neither of the Jazz, but obviously OKC has some more interesting players between uh, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, Josh Giddey, um, Chet Holmgren. Um, obviously, he's going to be out for the year, so we'll see. Um, but Utah is definitely lacking in the um, potential star um, department. But it again, <laughs> it's the first offseason that they've blown it up, so it makes sense. And they really put themselves uh, in play for the Wambayama sweepstakes. Obviously, he's been uh, the talk of the league for this upcoming draft. He's been the consensus number one pick. People think he's going to just be absolutely insane. He's been tearing it up overseas. So we'll see. Uh, I've got a little bit of concern similar to Holmgren with him where he's just a little lanky. But I think he's a lot more polished than Holmgren is. So um, I think he definitely has a higher ceiling and probably a, a higher floor as well. So. But we'll see. Um, there's a, a few teams that are finally deciding to tank and go all in for him. Uh, I think San Antonio is definitely one of those. Um, and now I think Utah has got as good a chance of, as anyone, especially if they trade um, the remaining veterans they have, which, like I said, I would be shocked if they didn't. But And they are setting themselves up not only to get a high draft pick, but um, they really could immediately overwhelm any team um, from a pick standpoint, if there was a disgruntled star, but I don't really see them doing that anytime soon because they just traded a star in Mitchell. Um, maybe there's a guy better than Mitchell that they could trade for, but um, this roster alone, which is one star, still not going to be good enough to contend. So I think they'll probably wait a few years before they would pursue anything like that. We haven't seen OKC really get involved in anything like that at any point yet. Um, and I don't really know if they, they plan to, um, maybe they want to wait a few years. Obviously, they're probably going to have a high pick this year, but SGA is getting up there in age. Um, there has been talks that he could be available, so we'll see. But as far as the Jazz are concerned, um, I think this was the trading Mitchell was the right move, as was trading Gobert, and I think they should absolutely tank as hard as they can this year because, to be honest, a lot of teams are going for it. I mean, even the in the West. 
really the only teams that probably don't think they have legit playoff aspirations are the Thunder, the Spurs, now the Jazz, and maybe Houston. But I kind of think Houston's going to try and win, though, because um, they've got some interesting pieces, and they've been bad for a few years now. But we'll see. And then in the East, um, same thing. I think pretty much everyone's shooting for the playoffs. There are a few teams that are just too bad or not too bad, but like too young to, to have realistic shot. Like the, the the Pistons and Magic come to mind, but I really do think that they both have a lot of talent, and <laughs> I think they're going to try and win, and I think they could be better than people think. Probably the Pacers are the main team, but really Pacers, Thunder, Spurs, and then the Jazz are probably the four teams that are going to try to tank the hardest, and I think the Jazz are set up maybe as, as well as any of them to have that worst record and again with today's odds they really only need to have the fourth worst record because they have the same odds uh, everybody with the um, in the bottom four does so but getting back to the trade um, and just the question of was it the best offer they could have gotten and I think consensus on it is probably not it seems like the Knicks offer might have been a little bit better and there's reports that the, the Jazz front office maybe got a little petty uh, and they accepted less, uh, almost to like spite the Knicks. I don't really understand why that relationship went bad, but um, apparently back in July, they offered RJ Barrett, Obi Toppin, Mitchell Robinson, and three unprotected firsts. Obviously, they were able to get three unprotected firsts from the Cavs as well, but they certainly didn't get anyone on the level of R.J. Barrett in terms of players. Um, and then Toppin is a, seems to have pretty good value across the league. I think people liked what they saw out of him last year. And Mitchell Robinson's fine. I mean, he's he hasn't been able to stay healthy, and but he's shown some flashes. But again, I mean, he's probably at best a low-end starting center or, or a good backup center. But regardless, he is still young. Um, but then they did... Obviously, talks were, weren't probably not as serious back then, so the Knicks weren't going to wait around. So they did sign Mitchell Robinson to an extension, which virtually took him off the table because, as we know, Utah didn't really want any super long-term expensive contracts. Not that Robinson's was super expensive, but I think it was in around the $15 million a year range, which is definitely not super cheap for a center of his caliber. Um, and then Utah apparently wanted Quentin Grimes, who played very well in summer league this year and showed some flashes last year as a rookie. Uh, but the Knicks were reluctant to give up him and R.J. Barrett, so they instead offered Emmanuel quickly. Um, and then Utah, I guess, was cool with that based on reports, but they wanted a, um, those three unprotected picks. But then the Knicks were then like, well, if we're giving Grimes, we're not going to do three unprotected um, so I believe they wanted to put protection on at least one of those three, which Utah then was like, no, we're not doing that. So whatever, they, they couldn't come to an agreement. But again, it does kind of feel like the Jazz may be settled. Um, and I do respect the Knicks saying, like, if putting a deadline on it and because um, they wanted to sign RJ. Um, so maybe that's why the Jazz got petty because I guess twice, two of the players that were offered – the Knicks were like, fine, well, we'll just sign an extension for Robinson and Barrett, which really complicated things. So I I know Danny Ainge likes having most of the power. He's proven to be a bit of a stingy uh, front office guy over the years. So maybe he just didn't like that the Knicks were um, doing it on their own terms. I, I don't know. Whatever, whatever the case may be, it didn't work out. 
And again, I think the Jazz probably should have taken the Knicks offer, whether that be the the initial one with RJ and the three picks, or even the later one with RJ and I think two picks. Because um, I do like RJ Barrett, I have I still have high hopes for him. He hasn't been. He's been really inconsistent, and he's got definitely got some flaws. He needs to work on his jump shot, um, and just consistency scoring overall. But he's still very young, um, and he, yeah, I think he's. I think he still could be a really nice player. I think he could make an All Star team down the line, um, but we'll we'll see with him. But getting to the Knicks side of this, I have pretty mixed feelings on them not getting the trade done. <sighs> So I'm gonna do like a pros and con list for them, because I don't know. I'm go I go back and forth on it. I mean, the pros of not doing the deal are, um, I think you get to invest in R.J. Barrett. Obviously, the Knicks have had very poor retention issues with their uh, draft picks over the years, so it's nice to see them actually sign one who could be um, even in the All Star conversation down the road. But but they get to see what he really is, um, and I think this could be the year that he really takes a step. I think. Obviously, two years ago, Randall had a really good year, and so he was kind of his team. He was a guy. And then last year, Randall was really bad, um, but he still had the, like, on the guy, like, thing carried over from the year before. And I think this year, we're going to see RJ kind of take over that number one option um, fr- from Randall. I don't know if Randall's going to like that, <laughs> but. Um, yeah, so I think that I think that's a pro. Just seeing what you got with RJ, maybe he can break out, or maybe you'll see that maybe he's not as good as you'd hope he'd be, and he could be moved down the line. But regardless, I think I think it's good for both RJ and the Knicks to for him to get some more opportunity. Um, they still do have some tradable contracts. I'll say that. I mean, Fournier's got I think two years left on his deal, but um, which could be attractive to some teams. I don't know if they want some expirings at least for two years down the road. Brunson's deals, maybe a little bit of an overpay, but at least they, his contract will be tradable, especially with the cap going up. They did have another star that was potentially available. Um, and overall, they did keep flexibility with the roster. They still have a ton of picks to trade um, if they did want to trade for someone. Um, and at the end of the day, it probably would have been an overpay for Mitchell based on those offers. Um, I think most people agree that the Knicks offer was the best offer and probably too much. And it, um, they've even gained some praise from people for not accepting it because the uh, Knicks in the past probably would have done whatever they could to get him. We've seen them gut their roster in the past for stars with Carmelo Anthony um, specifically. But uh, which, by the way, I do think that probably was a good trade for them because a lot of those guys were young and um, didn't end up turning into too much. But as far as from the con side of thing, I mean, I think the Knicks look like a play-in team at best like probably not even i mean i named the nine teams earlier that are clearly better than them and then i think the wizards probably have a better roster but i'd be shocked if either the pistons or magic are better than people expected similarly to the Cavs last year no i would not um so i probably think they're not even a playing team and they're just stuck in mediocrity they're going to be too good to get a top five pick um and they're going to not be good enough to make the playoffs. I would be pretty shocked if they made the playoffs. I'll say that. I think it would take some injuries from, from some teams uh, for them to sneak in. But And then another big con, in my opinion, is, I mean, the Knicks have been preaching flexibility for years now. Um, and I just, what has that gotten them? I mean, think about how many times they've cleared their cap space, traded everybody, or 
um, acquired a bunch of picks so they can get a star. Um, even back to 2010, they cleared everything to sign LeBron and and someone else potentially. Um, and then just a few years ago, they clear all their space to get Katie and Kyrie, and they don't choose the Knicks. Um, and then they end up signing six power forwards or <laughs> something like that. So I don't know. They always have this flexibility, and then this year they overpay for Brunson. Um, when they, there was other options they maybe could have gone for, so I don't know. I just think that flexibility is good for a little bit, but at a certain point, if you're always just trying to stay flexible, then you're never going to actually strike on anything. Um, and back to the point I made earlier about um, the Mellow trade, I think Mitchell probably would have been the best player they've had since Mellow, um, and they would have had the best team they've had since uh, that one year with Mellow um, back in 2013 when they were the two seed. Um, and I remember they got pretty uh, bashed pretty hard just for how much they tore the roster up to get Mellow. But if you look in retrospect, I mean, they would, it was like Raymond Felton, Wilson Chandler, Timofey Mozgov, and then I think like one pick, maybe two picks. Um, so that, <laughs> those guys all turned into nothing. I mean, Raymond Felton was like in past his prime, but his prime wasn't even that spectacular. And then Wilson Chandler had maybe one good year with the Nuggets and then was nothing. And then Mozgov, again, was like <laughs> a fine, okay filler starter. But yeah. None of the oh, and Gallinari was in that trade too. I forgot about Gallinari, but again, he never turned into an all-star. Um, so it's like, would you rather have all those guys or a perennial all-star, lead the league in scoring guy? I think you take the the star every time. So I think that, given the the context, I understand why the Knicks didn't pull the trigger, but I think the pressure is on if they can't get somebody in the next few years, then it's gonna. Yeah, fans are already probably impatient. Um, and I think that finishing top four seed two years ago probably hurt them in some ways. I've talked about this in the past, how when you overperform, it can actually set you back a little bit because like, you think you're in a rebuilding mode. But then it forces you to try to go for it in some ways. Um, and if you're going for it by adding a star like Mitchell, then I'm all for it. But if you're signing Fournier to a 20 million a year and Brunson and stuff like that, then it's like, it's not going to push you over the top. And, um, that year proved to be a bit of a fluke anyway. So I don't know. We'll see. I will hold off on judgment, um, for the Knicks overall, but I, I do think that, like I said, the pressure is on them to make something happen and acquire someone in the next few years. I'm not sure who's going to be available, there's been talks of Anthony Davis potentially if the Lakers are bad again um, or if LeBron was to leave. I know he just signed extension, but he obviously said he wants to play with his sons, which could happen. Not that uh, <laughs> in the near future, um, only a few years away from that. So, And then Anthony Davis has been so injury prone that who knows if the Lakers would even want to commit to him. Um, so that's someone to watch. Um, I know that name's been tossed out a few times as well as uh shea gilgis alexander i know i talked about the thunder a bit but he's i mean he's not old obviously he's still young but he doesn't really fit the timeline for um the rest of the team he's 24 um chet holmgren's not even going to be playing till next year so he'll be 25 at that point they're going to have another terrible season this year. They've already in the past few years basically told him to <laughs> hang it up and 
not play the second half. And it's just like, how many times can you tell him that? The dude probably wants to play. Um, so I think, and I've heard that he is available. He's been available. I know there was rumors last draft, not this past one, but the one before about um, OKC offering him up for the a number two pick or something um, to get, I don't know if it was to get Mobley or um, hope to try to get Cade. I, I don't know. But regardless, there was talks of them, or actually, I think it was only like the fourth pick, whatever. Regardless, he was available then. He's been um, said to be pretty available now. So he could be another guy I think the Knicks could go after. I don't think he would cost nearly as much as Mitchell. He's obviously not as good as Mitchell. Um, I like SGA. I think that he's got some flaws. He's not a very good shooter. Um, he shot only 30% from three last year. Um, I know his scoring numbers have been good, and his efficiency overall hasn't been bad. But um, he's also had um, some durability issues. I mean, he only played 35 games two years ago, 56 last. But I know that they were definitely keep taking it slow intentionally, so they could probably lose some. But um, I don't know what position he is either. I think he's a shooting guard, um, but he's played some point guard. So um, I like him best as a two, I think, though. He's clearly capable of playing at least some point guard. But... Regardless, I think he could be a, a good guy for the Knicks to go after or really um, any team that's got the, the picks to make it happen. I'm sure that Sam Presti's going <laughs> to want to haul for him. Um, but yeah. And just the last thing I wanted to touch on, um, not really to any team, but it's it really is fascinating to me, the obsession with picks in the NBA right now. Um, specifically unprotected. I mean, it's like it feels like you don't even have to give up a player that's semi-decent for a star um, in a trade these days as long as you give up picks. Um, as long as they're unprotected, there's a lot of them, whatever, and the pick swaps. and It's just crazy to be. I mean, OKC has been the case study for this, but we haven't seen them use any of those picks to do anything and there's there there can be a certain point where you literally have too many picks i mean if you got four first round picks in a draft like do you you can't do that every year because you've only got 12 active roster spots and 15 roster spots total i mean you can put some guys down in the g league but if they're first round picks if it's a 15th overall pick unless that guy's really not ready it's gonna be a tough sell to him to send him to the g league um for someone who is almost a lottery pick, you know, so I don't know. I am a big believer that um, players matter more than picks, obviously. Um, <laughs> there's been scenarios where picks have obviously come back to bite teams. The Nets are probably the most glaring one when they gave up a bunch of picks for Pearson Garnett and Jason Terry, but I think the difference there is that those dudes were like 35 um, and clearly past their prime. I mean, Garnett, once he got there, was like, single-digit point-per-game score. Um, and he had already started to decline with the Celtics beforehand. So, But I think if you're training for an all-star level player in their supposed prime, I just I can't comprehend why you wouldn't just give all the picks that you need to if you don't have to give up players. like The reason the Knicks probably didn't make it happen is because they didn't want to give up RJ with the picks. I'm sure they would have been fine giving up all the picks. So I don't know. I just think it's crazy that all these teams are so obsessed with picks um, when at a certain point you're going to lose leverage. Like I said, I mean, the you can't draft four rookies every single year. It just, it's not feasible for a roster. Um, and you can try to consolidate, but again, if you've got so many, you're going to lose leverage 
um, and you're not going to get equal values. So, and then what, uh, with the OKC example, the rest of their team's so young. So even if they traded for like Mitchell, for example, I'm like, they're not contenders. Um, I mean, SGA and Mitchell could probably get them to the playoffs, but um, even if Holmgren was playing, he's going to be very raw this year. He's he's not ready to contribute to a winning situation, um, at least not in big minutes. Um, and then Giddy still has a lot to work on. He can't shoot really at all, which matters a lot, obviously. Um, and then they've got a lot of other young guys, but I don't know. I just think that players should have more value than they do. Um, and it's just crazy to think that you can pretty much get anyone if you've got, if you're willing to clean house on your picks, then you can get whoever you want and it doesn't even really matter who you trade. So thank you so much for listening to the latest episode of the Sean Jones NBA show. Um, I'm probably going to start getting into some preseason material likely going to do an over under um, on win totals for teams i will definitely be revealing my predictions for this upcoming season Um, probably won't get into that at least one until the preseason starts and training camp is underway just because i think there still could be some minor player movement uh, moving forward but very excited that the season is um, right around the corner only about a month away Um, but yeah with that being said thanks so much for listening and i'll uh, talk to you soon Thank you.